So it's actually about mushrooms. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenacast. I'm your host, Jeff, and with me is my co-host, Alan. On the first and third Tuesday of every month, we bring to you our perspectives on theology and culture from a post-evangelical progressive Christian lens. Thank you for joining us for another conversation to provoke your progressive Christian imagination. This week, we are going to talk about the Bible. We're going to have a good old-fashioned Bible study, and we're going to look at a very specific verse that I'm sure many of you, if you have any experience in maybe just church in general, but specifically evangelical churches, you've heard the verse Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. (laughs) Strengtheneth. That's my favorite word. And after our conversation on this verse, we are going to bring back a segment called Judging a Book by Its Cover. This conversation and this idea to do this particular verse comes from uh, – If many of you who have listened to the show for a long time, you know that this show evolved from a blog that Alan was written, that Alan is still writing, called Irenicon. And uh, it inspired me at one point to start my own blog, which lasted about like two posts in four weeks. But it was super solid. (laughs) (laughs) So says you. Um, But one of the ideas that I had that I was working on for that particular blog was a series of blog posts called Exegesis in 140 Characters or Less. And the idea behind it was taking these verses that are often misquoted and taken out of context and applied whole new meaning that really don't justify its existence in any real or tangible way and, uh, and kind of undo some of that misinterpretation that's gone through about these particular verses. So we thought it'd be a good idea to bring that idea to the podcast for this episode and specifically center on, again, Philippians 4.13. I used to be of the mind, Jeff, you and I had a conversation years ago about how people would misinterpret texts and they would still be used for good means and how that's okay. Uh, It's an okay practice for someone to read it and see. I forgot your your analogy was someone read the verse, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the idea that Jesus is talking about the yoke of his teachings being saddled on your shoulders. But there was a student who who read that and imagined an egg yoke breaking over their head and running down their, their shoulders. And they they felt like God's egg yoke was light, right? And like really ministered to their spirit. And, and I just want to say, yeah, and your point to me was that uh, sometimes there's different interpretations for these texts and that's not always a bad thing. And I feel like I still feel that way. I still feel that, that that's okay. But the reason I think that it's important to talk about, uh, meanings and interpretation and hermeneutics in, in the Bible is that there are healthier and unhealthier ways of interpreting and applying the Bible. And in this specific instance, we're going to get there, but this verse has been used to do some pretty awful things in my opinion, and yes. uh, it's some unhealthy things. So whatever, you can interpret it how you want, but I do believe there are some more helpful interpretations and honest ones and ones that are a little more dishonest and unhelpful. Anyway, absolutely. put that caveat out there. And and I, th- I think I've shared that story. We've actually done a few episodes on the Bible. We had a, in my opinion, I think in both of our opinions, we had a really good series back in episodes 63, 64, and 65, where we did a whole thing on interpreting the Bible. And then also... Our, uh, our fourth episode ever, we talked about uh, the Bible, and we'll put links to the show notes in those particular episodes. And that, if you're if you're coming to us for the first time, that might help provide context for where we're coming from when we're talking about interpreting the Bible and we're looking at these verses. Um, but I had mentioned that story that Alan just said 
Um, and I had heard that from a professor talking about, you know, interpretation and stuff like that. And I think just to clarify, uh, I don't think we should just be willy nilly with the, the scripture and be like, it can mean whatever we want it to mean. But I think when, um, when the, the application in our lives we take from provides goodness and encouragement in our life, I think that, I think that there's a line between keeping an interpretation for ourselves that can be helpful for us and imposing that interpretation on someone else as the way to look at the scripture. I know that there's more nuance to that and all that kind of stuff, but I sometimes do th- these, these things are viral. The way we handle texts, like, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, creates a reality on its own that gets used and appropriated in different ways by different churches and youth groups and students and all that kind of stuff. So addressing the text itself and the way it's used are really important. That's what the community is supposed to do. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. Cause if that, and talk about that. Yeah. And uh, I think, I think, I think we're going to probably have similar reactions to how we've experienced it, but this verse in particular, <laughs> I think um, for me, I was in a Pentecostal upbringing. So this was kind of one of those like name it and claim it verses. Like if I'm tired, if I don't think I can do something then I'm just going to muster up, you know, what most people will call the power of positivity, but other people would say the power of the Holy Spirit or claiming and standing on the promises of God or whatever, that this became, you know, standing on the promises. <laughs> this became a, a mantra, uh, almost a magic spell. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And anytime that, at least for me, that I would express some kind of like doubt or struggle just to have a conversation, to be able to like process and get something out of what I was doubting. It was never allowed. The conversation was never allowed to move forward because it would stop at, you can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens you. Like, and if you don't do that, then you, you have some like lack of faith or, or whatever, or, you know, if you didn't. Interesting. So this was a clobber passage to clobber your doubt and your, to short circuit your process of critical thinking and just get you back to believing in yeah. the right way. Well-meaning. I, I, I don't think there was any right. vicious intent from the people that would do this. This was something I think that was instilled in them as well. And it, mm-hmm. it, again, it's well-meaning, but it stops you in your tracks. It makes you almost feel guilty for doubting when it's interpreted in this way in which you have faith, you'll, you'll have all the strength, you have everything you need, move forward. Even if you're moving forward in a place that you shouldn't be moving forward in. Uh, I think the the place that I see this this text the most is like tattoos or whatever on uh, on athletes or you know hey. t shirts or stuff like that because you know they can they can win the game with Christ Jesus. There, I say hey because I had a necklace um, when I actually started dating your sister in like seventeen or eighteen years old. Uh, my necklace I always wore had a football on one side and on the other side it said I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can pummel my opponents. I'm pretty sure brain damage back when Tim Tebow was a thing. He had that on his little eye, uh, <laughs> his eye makeup, the right? eye glare thing. Well, we could talk about the NFL. I that ma- should be another episode. But <laughs> it's, it's eye makeup. <laughs> it's exactly what it is. It's eye makeup. Yeah. So my, my background was less name it and claim it. Right. That's uh, that was kind of laughed at where I come from. Um, but similar similar thing, idea of that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I was taught in Awana. I very vividly remember an Awana camp where I'm wearing that necklace in high school. Sorry, grandma. I know you bought that for me and I love you. It was beautiful. I appreciate it. Uh, but I remember being in the, in the trees in an obstacle course at sugar pine. I know you've been to sugar pine I in have. California. So I, I went in the summer, not the winter. And you have to jump from one platform to the other and they're kind of swinging and they're pretty far apart. 
And I stood there for like 15 minutes and everybody's like backed up behind me. I'm like, I don't want to jump across this swinging platform onto another swinging platform. I'm a big dude. And I remember just saying over and over, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. (laughs) And I make that leap and I make it and my faith is strengthened. I don't know what would happen if I would have fallen. And <laughs> then apparently <laughs> Jesus didn't strengthen you. We had that same thing in a camp that we did for summer camp. They had this ropes course and it wasn't that it wasn't something that I told myself. It was literally something that the, the counselors would encourage maybe, you to say. That's how they would encourage that's you. That's what they told me. Yes, yeah, it was a ropes exactly course. What they would it's say. probably the same one, dude. <laughs> so that's, that's the way it was used. But uh, that in my <laughs> estimation, uh, in my reading of, of that scripture and understanding the, the context itself, is a very different idea than what is being spoken of when Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians. It's kind of cool because we're going through Philippians right now in church. I follow the lectionary when I preach. So what what is the context, Jeff? What's the what's the original discussion about in this verse? If it's not I can pummel my opponents through Christ who strengthens me or pummel my doubt through Christ who strengthens me. Well, it is, it is my understanding that with per- this particular book in general, this is a prison letter from Paul, and it is unlike any of the other ones that we, any of the other letters that we attribute to Paul in the sense that this is more of like a personal friendship letter. He's not writing to correct something in a church that's happening. He's just sharing his personal experience and how he's he's struggling in prison, but has hope in the midst of that and is, is trying to pass that on. Um, it is... It, it it comes off more like the best way is like a peer letter. Like he's writing someone he loves and respects or a people that he loves and respects to kind of just share where he's at. Uh, so this is right. very different than a lot of Paul's other letters. And specifically this verse, if we look at it and where it falls, um, there's a couple ways to interpret it. So we are used to hearing probably the one that says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, or I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. But the common English Bible, which I think is a really good translation if you don't have it. Yes. Um, I think really provides a little bit more context because he says, I can endure all these things through the power of the one who gives me strength. And he's, what are these things that he's talking about in the couple verses before? This is the closing of his letters. And he's saying, I'm very glad in the Lord. This is in verse 10. I'm very glad in the Lord because now at last you have shown concern for me again. And then on to verse 11, I'm saying this because I, I, I'm not saying this because I need anything for I have learned how to be content in my circumstances. I know the experience of being in need and of having more than enough. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstances, whether full or hungry or whether having plenty or being poor, I can endure these things. So which these things, the idea of having plenty or have being poor or being upset. So this is a very like specific reference to a specific thing. Not that God's going to send the Holy spirit on you and give you magic powers you know, eagle powers to handle everything that you. Is that Nacho Libre? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I love magic eagle powers. Yeah. The the whole point of Philippians is to thank them for giving a gift for supporting him in his pr- in imprisonment because he needed someone to supply his like food and stuff. And uh, so this is a thank you letter. And he's not saying thank you because he desperately needs things necessarily he's joyful for their giving because of what it's doing for them as people that's that's kind of the argumentation that he's using and so he's trying to like separate that out hey thank you so much i'm filled with joy that you are engaged in the ministry i'm engaged in and that you're responding not because i need anything necessarily because i can live with a lot i can live with a little i can do all things through christ who strengthens me so the ceb translates it these things 
uh, most or not most, but a lot of other translations, including the NASB, um, translated all things. And the idea is that there's no article in front of Ponta, which is like all things, right? You would you would expect there to be an article if he's talking about these things, but you don't necessarily need it. It can be translated either way. It's a choice that the interpreter is making to say all things versus all these things. The, the Greek allows for either tra- either interpretation. And if you're reading along in the text, the best interpretation in my mind, like tra- not interpretation, translation into English would be all these things like the CEB uses. So it's not saying all things. It's saying I can do all this stuff I just talked about through Christ who fulfills me. Like even, even in need, I can be content. Even with much, I can be content. I can do all this through Christ who strengthens me, not necessarily win a football game. <laughs> That's right. It's more about contentment and less about achievement. You know, it's more of this like internal thing that is going on, regardless of the external things, as opposed to my ability to exert power on the external things to guarantee outcomes. It's like, regardless of the outcome, I am strengthened by Christ. And that is a very different argument. And that's a very, that's a very, very good way to, to word that when it comes to outcome. Cause I think that a lot of the misinterpretation when we, when we come to these verses has to do with outcome, right? Like we, right. we equate blessing with outcome. We don't equate it with the Sermon on the Mount that says the blessing is in the struggle in the midst of where you are, regardless <laughs> yeah. of your circumstance. So I think that that's a, I think that's a, it's a window into, the overall way in which a certain segment of Christianity approaches the Bible as a whole, as a place to affirm your destination or affirm your place in life as either good or bad. And it puts everything in this binary, right? Like right. you're either this or this. And anytime you're in between, you're out of God's favor or God's will or right. whatever term we want to use. Where I come from is not being in or out of the will of God. Like we we were taught everything is predestined, right? Everything is mapped out. Uh, I don't necessarily believe that now. I have a very different view of God's relationship with the world and with history. But it it was everything was set and everything was fate. And so you're able to be content because, you know, God is writing history, right? Has already written history and you're just living it. So God is already predetermined what's going to happen next, what you're going to choose next, all that stuff. That really falls along the lines with the Stoics of the time. There's a a really big conversation about, is this Paul speaking to the Stoics? Because a huge school of thought in Greek philosophy at the time when Paul was writing, who believe that contentment uh, or detachment is the ultimate good, that you should work really hard to have no feelings about yourself, other people, you know, your pet dog, and you move from your pet dog to your own body. If you can see things happening and not have these feelings, then you've reached this place of uh, connection with the will of God because everything that happens is the will of God. So when bad things happen to you, being able to be quote unquote content because you are self-sufficient, you don't need anything else outside of yourself to give you joy or contentment, then you are in a good place. And it's like some people, some interpreters see Paul speaking in this situation to the Stoics saying like, It's not just that I am content, it's that I am content in Christ. Because of my connection to the divine, I'm able to be uh, content and sufficient. I don't have sufficiency in myself. Paul says that over and over and over. But in my connection with God, I know I can be content and I am fulfilled regardless of whether this stuff is good or bad that is happening to me. Not Hmm. necessarily saying it's all, you know, fated to be God's will. I don't think that 
I haven't heard that before, but to me, it's reminiscent of that idea of it doesn't seem likely to me that that Paul is using this personal letter to address a specific right. group outside of the church to say this or that. Um, there's a lot of verses that I remember people teaching right. when I was growing up that said, well, this verse is talking to the church and this verse is talking to non-Christians. Right. I think it's, it's just that the, the word contentment might bring up for them the stuff that's popular at the time. An idea of contentment might be popular. And so he's tying that into his sufficiency in Christ or whatever. Yeah. I think it's possible that that's maybe a later edition or it's possible that the person he's specifically writing to is familiar with stoicism and it's part of their, you know, regular. The people in yeah. Yeah. Cause I think it's hard to tell. Um, yeah. I, I, it's I, interesting in any case. It is the, interesting. The yeah. argument for sure in the book is definitely contentment in the face of much or in the face of little. Yeah. And, Cause his context I, is prison. Like he's very clear. Like I'm right. writing from here and I want to be with you, but uh, he's not sure how long it'll be or when it'll be or anything like that. I think it's pretty brilliant that Paul wrote, I'm content with much and content with little through in the, the much part. I always read that book just person that this part of the letter personally has like, it's harder to be content with much. The more stuff you have, the bigger your appetite gets. Uh, Socrates said contentment is natural wealth. Luxury is artificial poverty. And like the more luxuries we enjoy, the more impoverished we become. And that's not necessarily the case. Paul's saying for him, that's not the case. He can have a lot and still be content. I think that's hard, though. Uh, that calls back to me all the teachings right in the Gospels about Jesus saying uh, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than a camel through the eye of a needle. And uh, but so I, I'd love someone to hear. I'd love someone to create a necklace that says that, right? Like. I can I I can suffer a lot. I can suffer a little through Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> you know, that's that would be a cool necklace to wear. Yeah, that the outcome is secondary to my state of mind or the state Absolutely. of my spirit or whatever. And I think that Dude, that's that, the exact opposite of how we interpret it. It is. Right? It is the exact opposite because the circumstances, if they're not good, then they're di- then it, you know it's that old mentality of you if you're you know you know that God is blessing you based off your material. Uh, possessions or your circumstances in life. And it's still reflective of the way that we talk when someone's mm-hmm. their life is going well, they're saying I'm blessed. They use that word all the time to talk about it. I mean, the fact that that hashtag blessed in like 2014 was the top um, hashtag and it became this, this symbol of like white privilege, kind of like I have all this stuff and it, Seriously. it just, it was kind of, you know, gross. And I think that there's, there's a can lot I to be ad- said. Can I just rant for a second? Just because, you know, <laughs> you can, just, this is our show. Listeners. Just you listeners and just you and me, Jeff, nobody else. Uh, the On Facebook, I saw someone responding to the whole Kaepernick stuff and the flag and saying, like, I love the flag. You know, I did this with the flag. When I think about the flag, I think about how much God has blessed our country, like all the stuff that we have. And all I can think about is how, as a nation, we took it from people. You know, we, we took this country from groups of people forcibly. Um, and we still take stuff. And it's funny that we can, on the one hand, take something violently and then say, God has hashtag blessed me because my ancestors, you know, took something from someone else or we are right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, that just becomes a rubber stamp. You know, all the good stuff I have. It's one thing to say all good things come from God because God supports reality itself and the good we experience does come from God. It's another to say everything I have is a sign that that I'm doing the right thing and I'm blessed. You know? Absolutely. And I think that that plays to the idea 
um, not only just in our country in general right now, but especially to these verses that we're talking about, this idea of community is that we, when we talk about America, a lot of people are talking about their specific experience with it. And that's what's reflecting out and not recognizing that I've had this experience with America and perhaps others have had something different. And if I'm going to say America, then I have to acknowledge that it's a, it's a pretty large pool of people with different experiences. And I would say big thing with a complex history. Exactly. And going into this, this verse, you know, we're talking about Paul being content within a circumstance. I believe that that's intimately connected with the idea of community. He is content because he's thankful for the people in Philippi who provided him with encouragement, provided him with actual need that he has. And that's how he closes the letter with listing all these things. Thank you for doing all of these things for me. That's typically supposed to be in the beginning of a letter. So we get this sense that that Paul is breaking like kind of the format rules because you know, letter writing at this point in time when these scriptures were written was an art form. You know, you couldn't just send out an email. It wasn't something that you did on a daily basis. It was something that you were trying to express a lot in, you know, a short amount of time because of materials and all that kind of stuff. So I think that our state of mind is intimately connected with our circumstance and I think that that can be affected in a good way or a positive way depending upon the community that we engage in and how um, how many people that we are involved in their lives as well. And that there's, there's a communal aspect to that, that I think it's kind of this, this underlying or even just looming presence in this, the text specifically is this connection between two groups of people. I'd like to take this conversation down a certain path uh, be, because this text was used in an unhealthy way in my former evangelical past. Uh, there's this thing called nuthetic counseling. That comes from the Greek word for confront or admonish. And it's a, an entire field of thought called biblical counseling or newthetic counseling. Um, and there's tons of groups. There's the National Association of Newthetic Counselors, Christian Counseling Education Foundation, Institute for Newthetic Studies, the Association of Biblical Counselors, the International Association of Biblical Counselors. There's all these different groups that have tons of memberships with pastors across the United States. And it all really originated with one man called, uh, his name is J.E. Adams. In 1970, he wrote a book called Competent to Counsel. And it spawned this entire field of work that I went through in my bachelor's degree. I I took a class on psychology thinking it was going to be about psychology. It was like the history of psychology or something like that at the master's college. And the master's college is a biblical counseling college, and the whole class was trying to debunk psychology. That was the entire class was let's look at the history of psychology and see why all of it is wrong. And the idea in newthetic counseling is all you need is the Bible. That is literally the cornerstone upon which the entire field is built. The Bible is sufficient for all things pertaining to godliness in life, right? There's a verse about that. And like first Timothy, uh, the, the Bible is sufficient. And so when I hear in my former context, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I hear because of my lens I was given, I don't need psych- psychology. I don't need help from a psychologist or a psychiatrist or any of these other things because I can do all things through Christ, which is mediated through the Bible. All I need is the Bible. And that has led to hurt for a lot of people. Um, so J.E. Adams, in his own words, this is like a couple of years ago, he maybe three years ago, he had a 
uh, an interview. He said, uh, let's, let's see. Integrationist counseling. Those are Christian counselors who try to integrate their faith with psychology says, uh, integrationist counseling seeks to combine the insights of psychology with those of the Bible. From my perspective, such counseling, though it purports to be biblical, is not, no matter how well-intentioned the one who does it may be. The danger is that believers who are the subjects of such counsel think they are being counseled to do God's will when they are not. In my understanding, attempted integration of the scriptures with world, worldly counseling beliefs, methods, and or techniques inevitably means that in order to make them agree, the scriptures are bent to fit the non-scriptural material that the counselor attempts to integrate with it. I believe the task is impossible without ending in a non-scriptural method. This is the mouthpiece of an entire group of people who have full-time jobs counseling human beings. They believe the field of psychology is bunk, that it, it has nothing to offer their counseling practices. And so they're working with humans who have deep-seated problems really difficult problems and they discount all of the research and data that has been collected and applied by the fields of psychology. And as a progressive Christian, I would say that's bullshit. <laughs> I, 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 I speak very strongly from this because I work with people who are dealing with suicidal tendencies, people who have uh, chemical imbalances and bipolar disorder and all sorts of other things. And if I'm going to stand here and say that the Bible is sufficient and I'm not going to listen to this entire arm of human knowledge, um, I'm playing around with people's lives and their minds. And uh, I've been trained as a pastoral counselor. And I, after like three or four sessions, will uh, tell someone that they need to see a psychologist or immediately sometimes. Sometimes someone comes in. I'm like, hey, that is that's that's big. You know, here's the number to someone who is a psychologist who's licensed and certified and who has been trained. Because that's not my place as a pastoral counselor. I, I think there's tons of damage that, have, that has been done by the newthetic counseling uh, practice, even though people have really good intentions and are trained in it. So, yeah, these verses matter. <laughs> How we apply texts matter. They do, especially when the verses or the interpretation of these verses and the use of these verses are so prevalent within Christian communities. Like, it's not like this is just some one-off sermon that you heard from someone else. There's right. probably been, you know, if there was a top 20 list of verses that have been preached on, this is probably up there somewhere in the way that people have approached it. And I've seen this on the other end when it comes to physical health in, in Pentecostal circles where uh, this verse was, would be quoted in tandem with, by your by his stripes, you are healed and people would stop taking medication and, right. you know, other things because, you know, they didn't need doctors because they have all that they need in Christ. It prevents people from doing things that they don't have any training for. And I wonder how prevalent that is, because, like, I, I think a lot of Christians, like even me growing up, you would hear those crazy people who don't go to the doctor because they want to be faith healed and we would laugh at them. But then we would take an adolescent who has these uh mental health problems and not send them to a psychologist, send them to an elder who has biblical counseling background and think that, Oh, we, you know, we're, we're doing so much better than those crazy people who have physical health problems. But you're right. It's the same. It's thing. the same thing. It's the exact same thing. Dude. I, I I'm telling you, nuthetic counseling is mainstream. If you doubt me, just look up the word nuthetic N O U T H E T I C courses, seminary classes, churches, paid staff across our country. It is an evangelical staple at this point, and it's damaging. 
it, it absolutely is. And I think it also muddies the water, too, when it comes to the idea of psychology, right? Because even from a progressive perspective, there's those that believe that that psychology is a, a soft science in comparison to some of the, the movements forward that are being made in uh, neurology and all that kind of stuff. And I think when we're right. talking – and if, if I'm stepping on you, Alan, let me know. But I think when we're talking about psychology here, we're talking about there's no monolith where words and approaches for everyone works for everyone in the same way. Right. And the whole basis of biblical – counseling is based off of here are words that work for everyone. If they don't work for you, then there's something wrong with you, not the words, because right. these are God's words. Yeah. And and, and I don't want to represent all new fetid counselors because there might be some disagreement, but it really does boil down to sin less, um, read your Bible more, pray more, uh, submit to the authority of the Bible more, and your life will work out. It's difficult to cast everything in the light of sin versus righteousness. Because not everything is sin versus righteousness. And maybe there's some new fetid counselors out there that wouldn't say that. But you heard J.E. Adams himself say that methods, techniques uh, inevitably lead to non-scriptural things. If you look outside of the Bible for direction. And that is that's awful because there are methods and techniques that are developed over so many decades that are peer reviewed by people who are um, committed to researching in their field. And you're discounting all of that stuff. And you're you're putting your child or your spouse or your own self in the hands of someone who's been trained at looking at the Bible as if it has all of those answers and discounting like soft sciences, but sciences nonetheless, yeah. data-based peer reviewed research and uh man, find yourself a boy who can do both, right? It's <laughs> someone who may have a Christian faith, but uh, doesn't discount psychology. They're out there, dude. There's <laughs> they're out there. They are. They are. Uh, and and I think that that goes to the 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 theological thought behind the interpretation of these texts, right? Because even these these counseling organizations, they're approaching the Bible in a very specific way. So yes, you you take their interpretive method and add it to rejecting anything that comes out right uh, from a scientist, and then it, it's it's really there's a lot of questions there and a lot of things. And I think that that's that's indicative of how this verse. And the attitude behind it have been misused in a lot of ways. And for us are one of those building blocks that were that push us out of the space of evangelicalism because right. it, it started to not ring true more and more and more. Yeah. So I kind of at the at the close of this, like this whole out of context uh, idea that we're going to be doing on different episodes. I don't want to be a, a gatekeeper saying these are appropriate interpretations and applications and these are not, you know, you have to think this way. You cannot think that way. If an adolescent wants to wear a necklace with a football and jump from one platform to another and feel like Christ has helped him do that. Awesome. You know, like that, that's really cool. But there, but we have to be careful that we don't completely miss the point of texts that we just disrespect them for what what they're speaking to, which is what I feel like a lot of evangelical interpretation of scripture does. We try to force it into these theological pieces. We can't let scripture disagree with itself. So we have to put these like artificial uh, things on top of it, whereas allowing it to speak, reading it um, for what it is and speaking to its own context is very important. And uh, though I don't want to be a um, a gatekeeper, I do think all of us need to speak very honestly and bluntly that there are abuses that are done with the Bible. There is clobbering. There is uh, hurt and pain that is used from texts in the Bible that are taken completely out of context and misappropriated and weaponized. And 
I I'm gonna, I will stand up and say no. Absolutely not. Like not not don't use people in the past for those for those purposes. Like I, I it's hard for me to see people who have died being called up and used against current things that are being um that's a separate issue. <laughs> but things happen in our country and you hear, well, MLK would have totally loved our nationalism now or our militarism now. And it's like, no, dude, let let the dead speak for themselves. Don't you dare. And so I feel that way a little bit with things like Philippians. Yeah. And that's not to say that we can't even have interpretations of it, because from our read of this scripture, to me, the outcome and the the potential road that it leads us down to is a more positive one, a more integrated one with other people, uh, uh, not basing our life and stressing out on the fact that things aren't working out. Therefore, all this other stuff is going because when things aren't working out, you have enough to worry about. You have enough stress. You have enough on your heart and your mind to add on top of that to think, well, then I'm out of sight with God or something's wrong with me in right. the midst of that is is heartbreaking and it is it weighs someone down and it is sometimes unbearable and difficult to breathe with all that weighing down on you and i think that uh i think ultimately kind of going back to the, to the beginning of our conversation where we talk about that idea of uh you know the yoke the the girl feeling warm and the yoke <laughs> coming down on that kind of stuff the outcome of that was she had a stress day and she felt better as a result. The outcome Love wasn't, it. well, I'm, it, things are heavier now and like I'm not going to do that. And that's not to say, again, this is just an analogy, but we have to look at how our interpretation moves us forward and that we can still take things to apply to our lives from these texts. But where do they take us? And then how do they right. edify us and how do they edify the people around us in a way that's moving forward and not restricting? And how do they touch all the different fields in our life and the avenues of knowledge? Exactly. Right? Um, I do want to leave off with, with one more thing. So contentment itself, like if we're going to read it in the way that we're proposing, uh, this is about contentment that can be weaponized too. people can say, just be content, uh, when they mean be complacent, right? Like just be complacent. Yeah. Don't worry about all the stuff that is happening. I would just point out the fact that Philippians itself is being written. If Paul was advocating complacency, Paul wouldn't have gone on a missions work across, you know, the ancient world and suffered stuff and fought the good fight and used the language he did if he was a complacent person. So I, I would say don't let the don't let anyone weaponize this verse to make you complacent or to shut you up about justice or anything like that, because it's coming out of a text and from a person that didn't do that. So it's it's uh it's improper to come to that conclusion. But all of that said. God, contentment is something that is so good and it's something I want and and I know it's achievable. Like the, here is one person who shows us it's achievable regardless of our circumstances and that gives me a little bit of hope. That's right. And I think that when, we, when we're talking in terms of contentment or anything else, these are sections of a larger conversation, right? So I should be content with what I have or don't have, but I shouldn't be content if what I have and don't have is based off in a power that a power, an oppressive <laughs> power that's choosing right. what I have and what I don't have for me. Like that's a whole different thing. So there's, there's even our own context and how to apply that, which goes to, I think any of these good things can be, can be weaponized in a way that put people down. I think, I think everything has a double edge to it and we have to be aware of its context and what we're doing for ourselves and others as we talk about these things. So are we going to do more? Well, that's up to everyone else. Uh, <laughs> to let us let us know what you helpful. think. <laughs> yeah, let us know what you think. If you'd like to hear more of these from time to time. I, I'd love to post 
and ask like, how, how did you read Philippians 4.13, you know, <laughs> in your life? How did you hear about it? What context did you listen to it in? Yeah, we yeah. would love to hear from you. And then also let us know if this is a, a, a format that you'd like us to do every now and then is to bring out verses that perhaps you've had a, a contentious relationship and you'd like us to talk mm-hmm. about it and, and make that an episode. So let us know. Add your voice to this conversation by commenting at the show notes at arenacast.com slash 102. And there you'll find the show notes for all the links of things that we've talked about and a complete list of all the other ways to like, follow, and contact the show. That's arenacast.com slash 103. And uh, on the other side of the music, we are going to be playing a game of judging a book by its cover, which I think is apropos to this particular uh, (laughs) conversation. So judging a book by its cover is a segment that we started way back in episode seven. In fact, the first time we did it, it was the three of us together when Mona was a co-host of the show. The second time I did it with Adam, my current co-host of Divine Cinema. And and then the next one, it was just myself and Mona. So this is kind of like every version of <laughs> mix of all of our hosts have done. So now it's going to be Alan and I doing this segment. And how it works That's is... episode like what... Uh... Five or something, and then episode seventy. Ep- episode seven, this. twenty, and seventy-four are when we've done this particular <laughs> one. It's so weird to say episode seventy-four. I know. Oh my gosh. I can't believe we're done one hundred three. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> so how this segment works is that we've come up with a random title, and then the other host has to guess what that book is going to be about based off of the title. And I, I don't and know. These about are you. not just rent. These are actual books. These are actual books. So we're not making yes. anything up. We're not just no. you know coming up with random things. We have found books with interesting titles and we are going to uh, share them with you and hopefully we don't have some of the same ones. So Alan, let's start with you. Okay. So I tried to think of books. I tried to look, so I'm a Goodreads person. If you're a listener and you like Goodreads, let's be friends. Find me on Goodreads. It's probably Alan O.B., A-L-L-E-N-O-B. And uh, I love, love Goodreads. I put every book I read on there. Um, So I was just searching around, you know, similar books, similar books, looking up different things. And believe it or not, a lot of the Christian literature out there doesn't have very ambiguous titles. They uh, pretty much say exactly what they are. <laughs> and so I was trying to go for ambiguous. Like, for instance, one was birth control is sinful in the Christian marriages and also robbing God of priesthood children. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a paragraph. Isn't that awesome? I think we robbing run into God that a couple of times before, children. the very expositional titles that kind of just explain everything you're like there is no mystery here (laughs) and some people like their faith like that right no mystery um okay so the ambiguous ones that i i found well one is for steam and country for steam and country you got it yes i am gonna guess that this is a historical book on how the train is the most integral part of the lifeline (laughs) of our country as it expanded from coast to coast (laughs) so this is christian fiction uh it's actually a futuristic book uh that is steampunk about a girl whose dad dies and she's in charge of a zeppelin and uh she's fighting a battle with these like inhuman why empire people um <laughs> that is strange so she's the 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 um captain of a ship of a zeppelin and who doesn't want to be the captain of a zeppelin with cool steampunk outfits uh, it says her father's been pronounced dead 
destructive earthquakes ravage the countryside, an invading army looms on looms on the horizon, and Zyra's day is just getting started. Just getting started. Like Forgotten Country, but for Steam too. For Steam. Because steampunk is important. I don't get the whole I mean, steampunk thing. I don't. Oh I oh I do. I don't do it, but I, I can feel it. <laughs> I, I like those goggles and some of that uh rusty metal stuff. Oh yeah. Hey, uh, I had a friend on Facebook just today, right before we started uh, recording. He posted a status. He said, I have just learned that the French French word for steampunk is retrofuturisme. I don't know how to speak French, just Spanish. So that sounded Spanish. My bad. But like retrofuturism. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's their word for steampunk. It's exactly what that is, though, right? Retrofuturism. That's exactly what it is. It's interesting. I'm not into it. If we're going to go future, we go it's all simple, future. We just no, leave the past behind us. And it's a move simpler forward. time. We no. want to bring the simpler time along with us. You know, yeah. where steam did everything for us. All right. So you take the, I, I also encountered a lot of books that had very specific titles to them. Um, I have to share my favorite one. One of them that like I came Robin across. God of priesthood children. No, my favorite one was uh, toilet yoga because sometimes shit doesn't happen. <laughs> Hey, <laughs> it is just different position yoga positions you can take on the toilet to allow everything. To I would work. totally listen to that. I'm all for anything that helps our continents. And my That's favorite awesome. one was one called "How to Avoid Huge Ships." <laughs> it's exactly what you think it would. It's ships. it's how to it's it's a, a maritime operator, and it's his guidebook on how to avoid large ships when you're in the water. <laughs> little biolog- little biographical side note. Uh, my grandpa on my mom's side and my dad, before my dad was married to his daughter, they would fish together. And one time they fell asleep in a little boat and they caught a sturgeon and they didn't know it. And it pulled them out to the open ocean and they woke up with a giant ship going by them. So they totally could have used that book. They could have used that book. How to, so you know how to avoid big ships. Don't fall asleep in your boat while you're fishing because you might get pulled out to the ocean. Right. That's right. And look That's on the horizon right and move. Like it seems pretty simple to me, but I don't know. Dude, big uh, things in water scare me. I'm just gonna say it. Like, I've uh, you and I swam out to see dolphins that one time at summer camp, and getting close, I got scared. Like something kind of that big in the water is just not right. We did whale watching a couple weeks ago. Oh, and it was yeah, it was did. wonderful. It was amazing, but it, it's intimidating pictures. when they get pretty close, and you're like, wow, that's a huge, yes, that's a wild huge, animal, yeah. And it was, it was crazy because they had like, it wasn't just the whales, but there were like hundreds of sea lions that would follow the whales to each spot. So it was like sea wow. lions, birds, whales, and they were just, it was crazy. It was, it was amazing. The girls loved it. It was great. I'm sure they did. They, those pictures are so fantastic. Yeah. All right. So here is my first book and it is called The Pocket Book of Boners. The Pocket Book of Boners. Yes. So I'm going to go with the idea that boners is a word for an idiot. Um, so I'm going to say it's an encyclopedia of people who have made really big mistakes and hurt themselves or, you know, died in mysterious ways because they made bad decisions. No, it's actually boners is like jokes and humorous uh, oh. stories or humorous <laughs> observations. And this is actually a Dr. Seuss book before he got into no all the way. other ones. So I think this is his first book so it contains like 22 illustrations of boners by doctors <laughs> <laughs> uh the rest of the volume consists of short sure jokes he draws boners real well yeah. <laughs> well this is the kind of that that dr seuss illustrative style is all over this book so that was yeah i feel like dr seuss drew phallic stuff on top of people's heads and stuff all the time anyway so i, guess I imagine so. he'd be a good 
a good artist. I'm curious to how the word boner has changed over time. Because I remember... Are you, Jeff? I am. Because it, right <laughs> right now, it's like... I mean, there, there's a major television show in America where one of the major characters was named Boner. You know? Yeah. And yeah. How, do you, how do you get away with that? Anyway. Sorry. I will, I will stop pontificating I love, about hey, the word I boner. love etymology. We'll talk all day. I was that excited little kid who looked up histories of words. Okay, so here's my second book. The Mushroom in Christian Art. The Identity of Jesus in the Development of Christianity. The Mushroom in Christian Art? <laughs> I'm going to buy this book, by the way. <laughs> I'm assuming that it... it, it I, I'm picturing, like... The idea of how Christianity has overtaken art with symbolism over the years as as uh, an atomic bomb would, like the mushroom cloud. Like it just has spread over all of art and that Christ's influence on art is undeniable in every shape, way, and form. That's my guess. That's a good guess. So it's actually about mushrooms. Um <laughs> <laughs> The author, John A. Rush, uses an artistic motif to define the nature of Christian art, establish the identity of Jesus, and expose the motive for his murder. Covering Christian art from 200 CE at the, to the present, the author reveals that Jesus, the teacher of righteousness, mentioned the deep Dead Sea Scrolls, is a personification of the holy mushroom, Amanita muscaria. The mushroom, Rush argues, symbolizes numerous mind-altering substances, psychoactive mushrooms, cannabis, henbane, and mandrake used by the early, more experimentally-minded Christian sects. So, he draws on historical resources, history, uh, traces the history and face of Jesus as being constructed and codified after 325. So he lives the... The author relates Jesus' life to a mushroom typology. Pretty interesting uh, discovering Jesus' presence in art through that, a psychoactive lens. That sounds interesting. Uh don't you I, want to read I actually kind of want to read now. it, yeah. <laughs> actually, uh, in there, one of there's these... There's a copy on Amazon for $25. See, I, might, spend that much. <laughs> I might do that. Because in one of these, I think it was our very first one back in episode seven, I the book that I uh, used the title for was The uh, Minotaur Takes a Cigarette Break. Yes, I remember that. I actually remember went that. and read that book, and it was you pretty did. good. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. So The description I think itself it's... was enjoyable. I yeah. remember that book. It's like stuck in my brain. <laughs> Well, hey, if if you buy the mushroom in Christian art, is it legal for you to like read it as a special no special episode? Technically, no, no. we're not allowed to do huh. that. I, I it's even kind of fuzzy on like putting Bible verses in our show notes and reading them and stuff like that. I'm sure no one actually acts on those things, but I hate to be that guy that you know enforces you hate to be that guy <laughs> Bible copyright. But yeah, I'm not sure how the rules work. That that must be a great job. Uh, being a lawyer for Bible copyrights. Uh, excuse me, but you uh, proliferated the word a little bit. <laughs> Only second to the guy that goes to churches and tells them they can't sing that worship song because they don't have the right oh, license geez. or whatever. Hey, uh, in Christ alone, um, there's one point that says the wrath of God was satisfied and more progressive churches or mainline churches like to sing, especially the Presbyterian Church USA, likes to sing the love of God was satisfied, right? Rather than the wrath of God with the cross. So they asked the people who who wrote the song, is it okay if we change this word in the Presbyterian hymnal? And they said no. So the PCUSA just voted this like last year to leave that song out of their their worship resource. Really? 
Isn't that nuts? That's interesting. In in my church, I wrote love underneath it. Is it, okay? Maybe I'm confessing to a crime, but we like we made copies of that song, and I wrote love underneath it as one of the options for you can sing this word along with it. Is that illegal? I don't know. Probably scribal is. edition. I I was the worst as a youth pastor. I would use every song in any song, and we'd change all <laughs> words that we wanted to and do whatever. Oh, I love it. Uh, but it's yeah, it's always easier to ask for forgiveness. Yeah, here we are. And if you're a mushroom, our... if you're a mushroom-minded Christian, nothing's off limits. <laughs> Bring it back around. Nice, <laughs> nice segue back into the game, Alan. Appreciate that. <laughs> you're welcome. All right. Anyway. So my next book is called Nipples on My Knee. Oh gosh. Uh, how to? If it is it Christian necessarily or no? No, none of I'm mine go, were Christian. If it was Christian, I was going to say something about teaching spirituality by using Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> But since it's not Christian, no, it's not Christian. I'll go with uh, the story of a young maid on a farm who milks all the cows and uh, meets a burly um, farmhand, and <laughs> <laughs> the farmhand has to fight <laughs> off the rich ranch ranch's son, rich rancher's son, for her hand in marriage. That is not even close. Although I think like there are farm animals stuff. involved. <laughs> uh, so let me read to you the description. Yes. It says, um, sometimes humorous, sometimes sad, but always poignant. These vignettes point out how life is always moving forward from birth to death. And all the stops in between these stories will remind you how delicate life is and why we should always take what life deals us in stride. So sit back in front of the fireplace on a cold, snowy evening, perhaps with a glass of sherry, while we while we relate <laughs> sorry while we relate sherry, to your yes. experience from twenty five years in the sheep business. Ooh, in the sheep business, sounds, I was close, man. That's cozy. Uh, so I don't I get the close. nipples on the knees thing. Is that like a right. something you do with sheep or sherry or sherry? I don't know. <laughs> So but it sounds kind of like, cherry, you know, kind like, of nice and pleasant. And mm-hmm. I feel like sitting in front of fire. When I hear Sherry, I think of Frasier because Frasier always drinks. Is that what he drank? I don't, I, he always I drinks that Sherry. Moderately. It's yeah, kind so of that's, pretentious but lovable. You yeah. Know? No, I, I, I remember the show. It was a little too, uh, yeah, pretentious is a good word. <laughs> I, I prefer my comedy lowbrow. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty damn lowbrow. <laughs> <laughs> Just because the the uh, just because the content is a pretentious psychologist who's supposedly smarter than everyone doesn't mean the actual show itself <laughs> is highbrow. <laughs> That's true. Half the jokes are a dog bringing in like a piece of underwear or something into the living room, and everybody laughs. So I'm not sure how <laughs> highbrow Frazier is, but whatever. Well, that's cool. I, I'm going to read about a. Uh, you know, some vignettes from the sheep business. I'm sure it's really interesting. I'm sure it's fascinating. Fascinating. I, I feel that we both had very specific themes to our titles. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, I do want to buy the mushroom in Christian art, though. So if you buy it, I'm going to borrow it from you. And vice so you versa. You can find a copy. And if anybody wants to buy me a copy, I'll give you my address and you can, you know, bail <laughs> me a bond. He's giving out his address. I don't mind. Pandering for <laughs> gifts on the show. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, unless there's anything you'd like to add to from your uh, titles, uh, I think that'll do it for us this week. If you enjoy what you hear and you want to support Iranacast, you can go to iranacast.com slash support, and there's a list of all the ways to do that. And uh, Alan, what are you up to this week? What are you doing that people should check out? 
this week. So I am beginning my first brick and mortar version of this podcast. There are three other ministers and myself who are ex-evangelicals, uh, former fundamentalists. Two came from Seventh-day Adventism, one from Lutheranism, and I came from the Baptist church background. And all four of us are starting a community that meets at the Monk's Cellar in Roseville, California, and we'll be meeting the third Tuesday of every month at seven o'clock, I believe. But you can look it up at Intersections on Facebook. We have a Facebook page and you can see the event there. You can get to know the people who are moderating it. It's going to be a, a safe place where we're going to be able to process some of the theological baggage that we have from our backgrounds. So if you want to come, uh, the first will be October 17th. And we're going to, we're just going to talk about our backgrounds. We're going to give space to some small groups to have discussions to share about their backgrounds. And then uh, we'll share our stories of kind of leaving fundamentalism, all, all four of us ministers. But that's what I'm working on at the moment. And also moving toward ordination, which Lord willing, if I get approved to the very final step will be happening in November. So check out intersections, all of that to say, look it up. Sounds good. And then I am still doing uh, Divine Cinema. It is moving forward. That's Divine Cinema with the C. We've taken off the little pun of the sin because we're actually <laughs> looking at good movies as well. Uh, so if you'd like to check that out, myself and Dylan are still doing that. And we post on the second and fourth Thursday of every month. Uh, so we're also doing two a month with that show as well. And uh, follow me on all the social medias. And all of our information is in the show notes and on our website. So for Follow this week me on Facebook, there's fun stuff happening all the time. 150 comments on random statuses. Yeah. Everything from politics to religion. And, Alan uh, is pissing people off on Facebook, <laughs> right and left. His conversations no are going crazy. <laughs> it's not controversial. Okay. I just, <laughs> it is. If you're a certain brand of Christianity, it is. But yeah, if being. you follow follow Alan, it's always it's always Human fun if you want to get all the their comments. complex, diverse, beautiful forms on yeah. Facebook. I'm not as active on Facebook, but I'm working on it. Uh, but my favorite is Instagram. So if you want to follow me on Instagram, yes, at Jeff Manili, it's uh, uh, I like to do that one more than anything else, mainly because I don't have to talk and I can just show <laughs> cool pictures. Uh, so, uh, with that, that'll do it for this week. I'm Jeff. I'm Alan. Thanks for joining the conversation. 